You are listening to episode 12 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. November 11th is Veterans Day, and I wanted to dedicate a podcast episode in honor of the everyday heroes who have served our country. This week, I'm joined by Eric Goodge, a Marine veteran and Purple Heart recipient who was wounded in Afghanistan and has overcome so much adversity since returning home to the States. I can't even begin to tell you how much I admire his attitude and mindset. You got to hear his story for yourself. So tune in, turn it up, and let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith, and thanks for tuning in today. Today, I'm joined by Marine veteran Eric Goodge. Eric is also the president and owner of UVest Advisory Group. UVest works with individuals, businesses, and nonprofits. So if you are in need of financial advisement, consider UVest. Here to tell us his journey from life in the Marines to president of UVest, I welcome Eric Goodge. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. So with Veterans Day approaching, I knew I wanted to have a veteran on the podcast to share their story. And when my mom told me your story, I just, I knew it had to be you. So thank you again for not only taking the time to do this, but thank you for your service. Well, thank you very much, Lauren. Quite literally my pleasure. Well, I'd like to to start off this by having you walk through your story. And I think a good question to start with is, what made you join the Marines? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's a, it's, it's a question I still think about sometimes. When I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school and I was kind of uh, disenchanted with academics at the time. I didn't do very well uh, in my classes. In fact, I did extraordinarily poorly in my classes. And uh, I didn't really have a plan. Um, I didn't have a plan for college or for work or for anything. During uh, my third rendition of Algebra 2, I think it was, uh, <laughs> in, in the, uh, it, this would have been the summer of, or the fall of 2006, I spent about an hour of class time deciding what I was going to do with my life. And this would have been my senior year. And over the course of that hour, I decided... Uh, and convinced myself that I was going to join the Marine Corps. So I called up a recruiter, and I, uh, I, had, I joined the Marine Corps, and then I told my family. Uh, and as you can understand, they, they were a little upset and shocked. It was kind of out of left field, and, but that's what I did. And so I uh, graduated high school in 2007 um, and went to, uh, to boot camp in the August of 2007. So really, uh, you know, why, why I joined or, you know, it's, I don't know. I just kind of fell into it. I didn't really have a whole lot of clear paths, but that's how I ended up there regardless. Wow. What happened after boot camp? Yeah. So, so I, uh, I, I entered, uh, so when you join the Marine Corps, you have different contracts, right? And, uh, I went, uh, what is, what's kind of called a no contract ground option. Basically what that means is they can kind of stick you wherever they need you as long as it's a ground combat option. So that, that includes, you know, infantry, artillery, those sorts of jobs. Uh, so 
I graduated boot camp, still had no idea what I was going to do in the Marine Corps. I was waiting for them to assign me a job. Uh, and uh, that winter, I found out I was going to be what's called a uh, forward observer. Um, and I didn't know anything about what a forward observer was at the time. This is all new to me. I'm just kind of going with the flow, so to speak. But what I was, what I would ended up being trained to do was call in artillery. Uh, that was the main job that I would have. So, so uh, you can imagine if you're on a patrol or something like that, and uh, you take enemy fire or overwhelmed with enemy fire or something like that. My job would be to locate the enemy. Uh, come up with a, a target location for the enemy and then call for whether it's artillery or mortar support or uh, in some cases um, air support. So that's what my job was. Uh, so this time, you know, about this time, we're, we're looking at 2008. So it's I've been in the Marine Corps for a year. Uh, guys are deploying pretty regularly. Um, I was attached to a unit in that winter, the winter of 2008, 2009. And we had just found out we were, we were tasked with a pretty big mission in Afghanistan. We didn't really know what that mission was. We didn't know a whole lot about it. There was a lot of hush hush, but this was about the time that uh, president Obama had just uh, entered office. And I don't know if you remember, but, Back then, there was a lot of talk of a sort of Afghan surge, just a sort of pivot towards Afghanistan, pulling out of Iraq. Right. Um, that was kind of the foreign policy of the day. And so we were going to be part of that surge. Uh, and so I think it was March, no, it had been May of 2009, we ended up deploying to Afghanistan as part of that effort. Uh, when we got there, there was not a whole lot there. There was no infrastructure or bases or anything like that. We sort of just slept on the ground and, and kind of lived day to day. Conditions were pretty austere. It was pretty brutal, but it, the, the experience was interesting nonetheless. So the deployment itself was pretty, it, w it wasn't boring. That's, that's for sure. It was, uh, we were regularly, uh, in contact with the, the enemy, whether it was firefights or dodging IEDs daily, it was an ongoing sort of thing that we dealt with. We went, we went the first half of the, or the first month rather, of the deployment, and we, we saw a lot of action, but we were really lucky. Nobody was getting hurt, and so we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then by about August of 2009, uh, something just changed, and uh, I don't know whether it was you know, the, the enemy in the area sort of caught on to our tactics or what, but, uh, it seems like every, every other day or so we were losing guys. Um, so about that time, August, two, uh, August 17th, actually to the day, um, was when I was wounded. Uh, and so you, you know, we were on a foot patrol, which was pretty, you know, standard. We was something we did every single day, multiple times a day for hours on end. And uh, we came to a uh, a ditch, I guess, if you will. See, there's there's not a lot of rain in Afghanistan. So they have uh, a huge series of irrigation canals to water their crops. So, you know, you have to cross these ditches. And, of course, when we came to this ditch, we kind of got too close together. Um, and the gentleman standing next to me, he was a 
Afghan interpreter, he uh, ended up stepping on a, uh, a pressure plate IED. Of course, it detonated and killed him. It killed a Marine behind him and killed another Afghan interpreter that was with us. And then, of course, I was wounded. And I think all in all that we had about 10 wounded and uh, three killed, which was, it was just a staggering hit for our patrol. Um, so that's sort of, that was the end of my story in Afghanistan. That's, uh, I was flown out from there. Um, of course, you know, dur- during the blast, I, I don't, I don't remember much of the events. I, I remember just bits and pieces and, uh, just flashes if you will. But, uh, I ended up in Germany and then from Germany to DC and I spent the next uh, year and a half or so recovering from those injuries. What, what were your injuries? Yeah. So uh, I was three feet away from uh, this blast. So I I had uh, extensive damage to the right side of my head and face. I ended up losing my right eye. I uh, shattered what's called your zygomatic arch is just kind of your the outer orbit of your 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 outer eye socket uh if you will uh and my cheekbone i shattered all of that which was replaced with titanium i uh i had two fractures in a few different places in my skull so i had a temporal uh, sort of a, a fracture in the temporal region of my skull and then back in the occipital region of my skull which is kind of in the back of your head and two brain hemorrhaging, brain bleeds, if you will, uh, associated with those fractures. Um, How many surgeries did you have to have altogether? I assume it was a long process. Yeah, it was. And it it could have been longer. I I think I had seven or eight and they wanted to do more. But really at at that point, I was just like, get me out of the hospital. So, I mean, this was you know, a year or so of surgeries and it takes a lot out of you. But immediately after the injury, I had, you know, a quick succession of five or six surgeries and then some surgeries that were farther apart that were mostly about facial reconstruction, that sort of thing. Did Um, you have most of your surgeries performed in Germany or when, when did you come back to the States? Yeah. So I was in, I was, yeah, I, I guess I, I kind of skipped over that a little bit. I uh, I did have like a, a, an emergency surgery, so to speak, in Germany, one in Afghanistan and one in Germany. But really, those were just emergency surgeries. They weren't really, you know, reconstruction or anything like that. I was actually in a medical induced coma for most of my duration from my transport from Germany or Afghanistan to Germany and then out of Germany. So I don't have a whole lot of details. I don't really know. I'm sure it's buried in my medical paperwork, but I, I <laughs> haven't prepared to go back through it. Um, but yeah, there's, so most of the surgeries were in D.C. though. Okay. And how long were you in the hospital? Yeah, I was in the hospital for, uh, well, you know, I was in, in inpatient. So, you know, in the bed uh, for the next three months. Wow. And then as an outpatient, just kind of living near the hospital, I stayed for another year or so. Uh, so, so a little over a year, I'd say I was, I ended up being there. I can't even imagine what it's like to lose an eye. What was your mindset like through recovery? Was there anger involved or? Like- well, 
Yeah, I mean, I was at the time after in the immediate aftermath, I guess I was just really anxious. I was really angry. I was really depressed. Um, in fact, I, I would say I was more depressed than I've I've ever been in my entire life. It was it was just a really weird sort of feeling. And then being in a hospital setting sort of made it worse mm. uh, because you're every day you're seeing new guys come and uh, they're all just as busted up as you are. Some, some of them are significantly more injured than you are. And that doesn't really make anybody happy. Right. Um, so I, I would say there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration and uh, depression, but I, I, I didn't, I can't say that I was like heroic or anything with my outlook. I was just scared and confused, um, if anything. Um, and it took a lot of time really just to get, get over that. When do you feel like your attitude started to change? Was there anything significant or? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I got the, with, um, you know, with time, the anxiety start sort of started to subside a little. And then my duty station in North Carolina, Camp Lejeune, which is probably under three feet of water right now. But the, I, I wanted to redeploy. Um, I wanted to go back. And I can't really explain why. I think it was just, you know, I was 21 at the time and angry. And that's just that's what Marines do, I guess. But I, you know, at, at some point I've, I had to get help with the, the issues I was facing. And so I, I saw a, um, a psychiatrist while I was, when I went to back to my duty station and, uh, uh, I was prescribed some medication and I think that that really helped me. Um, but you know, from a larger stance uh, or larger perspective, I guess, if I step back, I don't think really things started to really change for me until I uh, started to focus on things outside of the Marine Corps. So when I started to think about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life, what I wanted to be when I grow up, so to speak, where did I want to go to school? Where would I go to school? What would I study? That sort of thing. Um, and I think those those things gave me, they gave me a focus that was, wasn't so dire. It wasn't so, uh, it, it wasn't the military or combat or recovery or anything like that. And I think that's when things started to change for me. I can imagine that being able to focus on new beginnings could really help detour your mind from focusing on any negative. Uh, so what happened when you left the Marine Corps? Yeah, well, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2012, and I actually ended up working for a year uh, in a warehouse. It was it was terrible. I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Not that the employers are bad or anything like that, but uh, I just wasn't cut out for warehouse work, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so it was. I, wor I worked there for a year, and uh, was after thinking about it for a year, I decided that I would uh, try to enroll at a local school here. It's the University of Evansville. It's a, it's a liberal arts school, and it's kind of a nice school. It's a really uh, a really good school, in fact. Uh, so I, I went and talked to them, and they took a look at my high school transcripts, and they were like, "You know what, dude? There's no way. There's no way you're coming here. There's no way you're going to succeed here." <laughs> and I had to agree with them at that time. 
the, the, my, tra- my transcripts are pretty dire. So what I ended up doing instead was I went to a, a local community college for a couple semesters and I, I took classes in, you know, economics and math and English and really got my bearings and then reapplied to the uh, University of Evansville. And this time they, they accepted me. And so that was, we're in 2014 now, um, and uh, I'm going to the University of Evansville. And really, I, I, was, I had no idea what I was going to study. I've, I had always figured, you know, business of some sort, some sort of business education would be best. I don't know why. I think that's just, you know, it seemed good enough. Um, and I really enjoyed economics. So I started taking a lot of economics classes and that ended up being my major. But I would say economics wasn't totally fulfilling for me also. Um, there was just something about the business classes that I felt, I felt like there should be more to education than, than these business classes I was taking. Um, whether it was economics or accounting or tax, whatever it might may be. So I, I, you know, and the University of Evansville being a, a liberal arts school really encourages, you know, these gen ed requirements. They want, they want students to, uh, they want students to take classes outside of their domain or their area of study. Right. And so I, I, I happened up upon this crazy cool little field or area of study called cognitive science and um, I was kind of skeptical of it at first but uh, when I when I took my first class my co- my first cognitive science class I was just I just absolutely fell in love with it at that point I had to make a decision is it going to be economics or is it going to be cognitive science so I decided to just split the difference and declared a double major and so I think that really was a, a that area of my or that time in my education was really transformative uh, going back to you know when when sort of did your mindset change after the injury and all that I think it was really when I started to get introduced to some of these ideas uh, that I'd never really even thought about or even couldn't even have couldn't didn't have the uh, the mental architecture right so to speak I guess the scaffolding to even think about these ideas were introduced to me in cognitive science and it, it really changed the way I viewed my life, the way I view everybody around me. And I think for the better. Between your injuries and now learning more about cognitive science, how has your overall perspective of life changed? I think, um, well, one thing I, I always noticed that I would have a tendency to do, uh, just really, um, general terms I would always want to try to think about what was right. So there was always a right answer and a wrong answer. There was always like something that was either true or something that was false. And whether it was, whether you're asking questions about like the big picture stuff, whether it was like religion or whatever you're trying to, these deep questions you're trying to answer. If if you're the kind of person who asks those questions, I always, I didn't care what the answer was. I just wanted whatever answer I stumbled on to be right. And I think I think cognitive science um, and the philosophy surrounding cognitive science kind of uh, it, it, it showed me how how we as humans create knowledge and how we use knowledge. And 
it's not as it's not as clear cut as we would think. It's not as if you know we have all these answers floating around waiting for us to discover. It's I think it's a lot more uh, nuanced than that. Of course, so I think some attitudes or beliefs about the world may be more correct than others. It's not to say that you can believe anything you want, but I I think it 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 changed the target. It wasn't about looking for the right answer. It wasn't looking about for the, the, the true answer anymore. It was, it was just sort of about understanding the, just the sheer um, complexity of the question at hand. Um, and so it really, I, I think it gave me a more subtle or more nuanced um, understanding of things around me. Um, so, yeah. Do you also feel that you maybe know yourself more because of that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you can, it certainly gives you the ability to, um, when you, when you're, re- you're, you're reading or thinking about, you know, the mind, for example, we'll, I'll just use that as an example. There's this tendency to turn that back around on yourself. And so it gives you kind of this, third person picture of, you know, yourself that is sometimes it's hard to access without, you know, um, the right sort of priming. Uh, but it definitely, it definitely makes it easier to, uh, get an idea about, you know, why am I having certain thoughts or why am I feeling certain emotions or ju- just noticing the patterns of thought, um, the inner dialogue, um, your emotions and so forth, um, is really not something I, I ever really thought about this sort of, these sort of metacognitive thoughts, um, because it never really occurred to me to think that way. But if you really pay attention to your thoughts, you, you start to pick up patterns or your emotions or your desires or whatever it may be. You'll, you'll know, you'll pick up patterns and, and I can't tell you what those patterns will be. I, I certainly know, notice things about myself, but if you do know those patterns, maybe you can tweak them to your, you know, your own benefit, whatever, whatever that may be, whatever your long-term goals may be. It's like, it's like, you, you know, um, in very simplified terms, you have this executive center in your brain, right. That's kind of controlling, um, your, your intense desires, wishes, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if, but we, we clearly don't always have control over, over that. Even when our executive knows we could have control, we don't always exhibit control. But if you give the, you know, that part of your brain access to when and how and why some of these uh, feelings, desires, beliefs, attitudes, whatever pop up, then maybe you can shape your environment. Maybe you can shape the way you go about your day to put those more in line with whatever your long, long-term goals are. Yeah. I think the big question now is what are you doing now? So you obviously graduated college and what happened there? Yeah. So, so I actually, uh, now I am, uh, I've opened up my own investment advisory business. Uh, uh so I graduated, um, uh, in December of 2017 from the University of Evansville. I got my bachelor's in economics and cognitive science. And, uh, you know, we've been we t- talking mostly, it seems like about 
cognitive science and how that changed my life and, and philosophy and, and my other interests. But um, I've also really, I've always had this uh, deep interest in financial markets. And um, in fact, one of the, uh, you know, as part of this double major that I did, one of the projects I, I worked on at the University of Evansville was um, creating uh, deep learning neural networks that learn patterns from financial data. And so, and this interest that I have in financial markets kind of goes all the way back to um, when I was working in the warehouse. Um, if you remember, I, I, I was working in this warehouse and I totally hated it. And what I would do in that when I was working in that, when I should have been, uh, you know, doing warehouse stuff, I would, I would trade. I would, I would get on uh, uh, E-Trade and I would read about all these different companies. And I, I just got in, intensely interested and, and investments and, and how you can manage your investments. And, and, uh, and really, so that, that's where the interest started. Um, and then, so over the course of, of my education, I, uh, I became an investment advisor. Um, I got licensed. Um, I, I got my series 65 license, which allows me to offer investment advice in the United States. Um, and, I slowly started to pick up clients. I was, I was a college student. So it was kind of hard. Some people were kind of, you know, nervous, like, well, what can this college student tell me about, you know, investments? But, but I did get some clients. And, uh, when I graduated, I, I opened up UVest advisory group, which is my, um, investment practice. Uh, and so really what I, when I started in the inter, uh, the industry, um, it became clear to me that, there's, there's two main paths to entering the investment advisory world. Um, you can enter as a broker, um, somebody who sells investments and investment products, or you could be an investment advisor, somebody who advises on those products. Um, and so really the big difference is where a broker gets compensated through the sales of those products uh, with a commission, an investment advisor is compensated with their advice. So uh, I, and the compensation is different. I don't get a, com a commission. It's usually uh, like a percentage of the assets I manage or, or a monthly retainer fee or something like that. And because of that, there is a, uh, a regulation, which is known as the fiduciary standard that I carry with all my clients. So it's not something you always see in the uh, brokerage industry, although it does apply sometimes. But really what that means is any advice that I'm offering to clients has to be in the best interest of that client. And that was something that really appealed to me because just from an ethical standpoint, there's no... It, it didn't feel as grimy or as salesy. It, it really felt as though I was helping these people and not, not just, you know, collecting a paycheck, so to speak. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I really didn't even know there was a difference in that. Yeah. And, and, and you'll, yeah, it's really, it's difficult uh, because uh, many brokers will hold themselves out as like a financial advisor or some sort of lingo like that. Um, but that, the thing is, is there's no license to hold, there's, there is no legal definition of a financial advisor. Well, my, the legal definition for what I do is an investment advisor representative, and I own a registered investment advisory firm. Um, but there is no, no, if somebody 
calls themselves a financial advisor, there's no, that doesn't mean anything. That could mean a bunch of things. It's, there's no legal standard for that. And there's no guarantee that they're giving you advice in your best interest. And so for me, it, it, I could have fallen into the industry, you know, anyway, but I was lucky that um, when I started working, I made contact with an, uh, another investment advisor and uh, ended up on that track. Um, and so with my, my current company, uh, basically, we, we focus on uh, millennials and uh, Gen X, uh, people who are sort of young, they're starting their their careers, they're accumulating for retirement. And we're, we're interested in people who want to take charge of their retirement, who actually want to do and learn and, and, and be in charge. We don't want the clients who are just kind of like, you know, I don't know, do whatever, or they're not really interested in, uh, you know, their future selves or, or their, their retirement or anything like that, because that's, that's really... If you're not, that doesn't really, there's no beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I'm not really helping you. I mean, by just implementing investment advice. So really what I try to do with my clients is I try to offer them accountability. So these are people who want to do the right thing. They want to learn what to do, but you know, I mean, I, I struggle with accountability. Everybody struggles with accountability. So that's, that's what I want to provide for my clients is, show them what they can do, how they can do it, and then hold them accountable to doing it. And so that's really what we've been doing. Um, so we offer investment advice. We offer, uh, you know, any, anything that's within the scope of financial planning. Um, we do a lot of budgeting with clients. Um, we show them, you know, sh- sort of strategic ways to pay off student loans or, or, uh, any other personal debt that they may have so that they can be in a good position um, when it comes time to retire. Uh, yeah. That's really great. I like that you broke that down because I feel like I would be one of those people who just not knowing really who I was talking to or, or even what credentials to look for. Yeah. I would always say I would, if you ever walk in anywhere, I would always make sure whoever you're talking to has a fiduciary obligation to you. And that could be as simple as asking them, but if they are an investment advisor representative, which will be denoted on their business card, if they are, uh, then you can be relatively assured that you're talking to a fiduciary, but it'll go a long way and (laughs) it'll go a long way in saving you money in your investments. If you're not, you know, generating, if you're not just generating, Creating commissions for other people. Right. Um, so if you pay, you need to pay somebody for the advice, not the investment product. That's that the key sense. difference. That makes sense. Thank you for breaking that down. Absolutely. And how's business been going since you started? That's uh, I've been doing that since January. That's uh, it, and it's been going really well. Um, we're growing. Uh, I uh, I just cross the a million and a half dollars in assets under management threshold, which is, um, is not as, as exciting as it sounds, but, um, well, it, it sounds exciting. <laughs> it, 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 it might, it might. When I tell most people that they're like, Oh, wow, that's amazing. But it's really, it's, it's very small. 
<laughs> it's very well, small in my industry, but celebrate it's those small wins. <laughs> yes, it's progress nonetheless, and I'm happy with it. So things are going very well with that. Awesome. And you and your wife are expecting your first baby. We are, yeah. So uh, my wife, Becca, we uh, are expecting our first little girl, uh, November 23rd. Oh, my goodness. Um, her, her name is going to be Rosalie. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's the, what is that, the day or before or after Thanksgiving? I can't remember. Well, I hope it's the day. I hope if for her sake, it falls the day after so she can at least eat Thanksgiving. And then it's good. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to make sure Thanksgiving happens either way. But for sure. Right, right. <laughs> well, Eric, um, congratulations on on the upcoming birth of your daughter. And thank, thank you so for taking the time to talk to me. Where can others learn more about UVS Advisory Group? Yeah, uh, so you can go to my website, www.uvestadvisory.com. That's uh, you, like the letter U, vest, and advisory.com. And, uh, of course, you can also email me. All that information is on my website. Um, and I would be happy to hear from anybody who, who would reference this podcast. I'll definitely get back to you and let you know about that. Awesome. And are you guys on social media at all? Yes. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, all the big ones were there. Uh, Perfect. Advisory group. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Eric, for your time. Um, man, you have quite the story. <laughs> thank you very much. I don't want to end this episode without mentioning this. We kind of bypassed it in the conversation, but it's just too important to miss out on. Eric was awarded the Purple Heart for Wounds Received in Action, as well as a Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal with Valor and Heroic Actions Under Fire. So thank you again to Eric, as well as the other veteran men and women for your service to our country. We are the home of the free because of the brave. You can find direct links to Eric's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found at mindbizlife.com. Also, I saw on Facebook that Eric's birthday is November 11th, so be sure to leave him birthday wishes in the comments of the episode notes or on our social posts. I'm adding your reviews to the MindBizLife website. If you haven't left a review yet, I would truly appreciate your feedback. It only takes a minute or two, and your review helps others find this podcast. That's it for today. I'll see you back here next week, and as Eric has proven, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.